0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to continue our conversation. Uh, last Monday, or rather this last Monday, we started uh, a, a little mini-series on what happens when we follow Jesus. I started on Monday uh, by talking about the story of a man named Matthew, Levi of Alphaeus, and uh, his encounter with Jesus. And when Jesus, uh, in M- Matthew chapter uh, 2, has this, uh, this, this invitation to Matthew to come and follow him, we learned that Jesus does a couple of First of all, we learned that Jesus sees different than than we do. Uh, Jesus didn't look at the crowds. He saw the person that wanted to follow him. Uh, We also see that Jesus is really good at inviting himself over for dinner. And then when he comes, uh, he usually brings people that we don't like. And we also learned that Jesus has the power to change the genre of our life, to take sick people and make them well. This morning, I want to talk about one element of that story that we didn't talk about. Uh, there's this uh, moment in, in the story that we read on Monday where Jesus calls Matthew. And Matthew leaves his tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. He leaves something behind to follow Christ. On Monday, we talked about calling. This morning, I want to talk about leaving. 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 Uh, in the Gospels, we have, we have four uh, distinct stories of Jesus. Uh, all four Gospels are very unique and different. Uh, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single one of these stories uh, portrays Jesus in sort of a unique uh, way, right? Uh, Matthew, for example, Matthew uh, is a Jewish writer who is uh, portraying Jesus uh, for a, a Jewish audience. And we know that he is, of course, writing to a Jewish audience because of the incessant number of times Matthew loves to quote the Old Testament to show that he knows his Bible. And so he's always showing Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish promise. Uh, The Gospel of um, Luke is written by a doctor, and we know that it's written by a doctor. My dad was a doctor. We know it was written by a doctor because he gives us all the details that nobody else gives us. That's what doctors do. They see things most people don't see. Mark, of course, is uh, the shortest Gospel. He's writing to Gentiles. The most repeated word in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately. It's, I call it the gospel for uh, ADD folks, for the ADHD gospel, the immediately quick. It's only 16 chapters long. If you have a short attention span, it's a great gospel to begin with. And then there's the gospel of John. John is like an artist uh, who is in a coffee shop doing uh, beat poetry, who's like, got a Hebrew tattoo written right here, and and he just tells the story of Jesus in this sort of flamboyant, in the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. He's sort of that awkward poet who reads things in a different way. All four Gospels, equally important, but different talents. And so, it's important when you're looking at these Gospels to see the things that all of them tell the same. And it turns out in all four Gospels, there is one similarity for the calling of Jesus. Jesus is always inviting people, come, follow me, Akalathe'o, come, leave behind your life and come follow me. And in each Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in every Gospel, the calling of Jesus includes leaving something behind Walking away from something Let's take a moment and look at this gospel Uh, John chapter 4 now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard more uh, had heard that uh, That Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing But his disciples so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee verse 4 Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And by the way, it's really interesting. Uh, In John's Gospel, Jesus often does his best stuff when the disciples are off at lunch. They're somewhere else. They're not in the room. And it's, it's funny to me as a follower of Jesus how Jesus is really good at doing uh, his best stuff when I'm not in the room. It often feels like that. He's sovereign. He's Lord. But we learned some interesting things both about Jesus and this woman in this story. We learned three things about Jesus and we learned three things about the woman. The first thing we learned about Jesus, first of all, we learned about the mission of Jesus this line that John uses. Now he had to go through Samaria. That's an odd line for New Testament scholars because Jesus is going from down below a place called Judea to a place called uh, Galilee, which is up to to the north. So he's going from Judea to Galilee. And in between is this land called Samaria. Now Samaria is filled with people called Samaritans. And a Samaritan is basically a half Jew. They were the result of the intermarriage between Assyria and the Jews in that year, 722, when Assyria had conquered uh, the northern uh, part of the kingdom. They are, as it were, they weren't full Jews. You could say they were Jew-ish. Bible nerds unite. That was funny. (laughs) The Samaritans were seen as essentially the lowest of the low. We actually have evidence in the first century that it was illegal for a Jew to even say the word Samaritan. It would make you dirty to even say the word. And we know that between Judea and Galilee, this land called Samaria, there was actually a road that went around Samaria. So that if you were a Jew and you had to go straight, you wouldn't go straight through, you would go around. So as to stay away from the dirty folks. And so when John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's a bit perplexing because he didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have easily gone around as everyone else would have in the first century. No, it's not saying that Jesus had to in the physical sense. It is saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was on mission. He knew part of his calling in the world was to not be the person who went around the dirty. Rather, Jesus is the kind of Messiah who goes directly to the dirty. He had to go through Samaria. Jesus refuses to walk away from those whom God is running towards. So he had to go through Samaria. We learn about the mission of Jesus. We also learn about the humanity of Jesus. In two verses, did you notice that Jesus is described as tired, hungry, and thirsty? Incredible comments about God. In the early church there was a debate, was Jesus God, was Jesus human? And the early church always said, yes, He's God, He's human. You can't take one from the other. And this particular text is so important because Jesus' full humanity is on display. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. I, I love the gospel's portrayal of the humanity of Jesus because it means it's, it's the greatest news. When you're preaching, for example, I love preaching to junior hires. Junior, they really need God. So when I'm preaching, to a middle schooler, it is actually very liberating to be able to stand up and say to a bunch of kids who are trapped in a body filled with hormones and all these sorts of things, to say, isn't it great news that we worship a God who had to endure pure puberty as well? well he had to experience the whole thing, What great news. Name one other God that gets tired, hungry, and thirsty as a human. Remarkable. He's a full human. And it's actually as he sits by the well, resting, that he sees this woman. Uh, There was a book written a couple years ago by a guy who said, The greatest evangelists in the world are not the ones that are the busiest. It's the ones who know how to stop, look around, and see actual human beings. Jesus stops to see And then we learn about the humility of Jesus. He asks for a cup of water. Astounding, because we believe Jesus was God. Catch the irony. The one who invented water is asking for a cup of it. The one who was there at the beginning with the father creating all things is here saying, hey, can I have a cup of water? I'm totally struck by the fact that Jesus enters into the limitations of humanity. Could he have made water come out of anything? You bet he could have made water out of anything. But he limits himself and he becomes, you would say he becomes needy, a full human. And the the reality is, for some of us, we are trying to create a world in which we no longer need anybody or anything. And the minute you do that, you cut out what it means to be a true human. Jesus was needy because he was a true human. Now we also learn about the woman. First of all, we learn that she's very desperate. How do we know she's desperate? Well, first of all, I want you to notice what time of day she comes to this well. She comes at noon. Now for us as modern readers, we would go, there's nothing significant about the noon hour. I do all sorts of things at noon. I go to lunch. I take a walk. I skip a class I'm supposed to be teaching. Noon means nothing to us, but in the first century world in which this story would have been told, it meant everything, because noon is the hour when the sun is at its brightest. And this woman comes to the well at noon. She comes at the time of day nobody goes to the water well. You go in the morning. You go at the night. You don't go at noon. She goes at noon. Why? She's desperate. She comes to the well at the one time of day that you're really not supposed to go to the well, and she comes alone. She's a Samaritan woman who has come to the well all alone. Again, you don't travel alone. It's dangerous. It's risky. Why has she come alone? Why has a woman come to a well at noon all alone? And by the way, I should tell you, when you think about this woman, I want you to imagine in the ancient world, first century, uh, the first century world, 95% of water, catch this, 95% of water was carried by women. It was one of the most important functions that women played in ancient society is to carry water. And so when you think about this woman, I actually, I don't want you to think about her as this sort of uh, quiet, destitute, petty woman who doesn't have strength and she's, actually, I wanna suggest to you friends, if 95% of your life, if most of your life is just carrying water around, I'm gonna guess this lady was ripped. (laughs) Like if I met this woman behind a Walmart, she she could take me out back and teach me a lesson or two. I bet she was ripped. I bet, frankly, I think women in the ancient world who spent their life carrying water, they they could have taken most of the dudes out. But when you carry water your whole life, don't miss that she's alone. She comes at noon and she comes alone. Why? We also learn that this woman was probably ostracized, marginalized, and hated. And the reason we know that is because Jesus and only Jesus can do this in just a few lines of conversation. This is, by the way, not something I would encourage any of you who are in intercultural ministry or cross-cultural uh, evangelism or missions would ever want to do. But in a few lines, Jesus brings up an entire conversation about our sex life. That's a no-no. Don't begin to do this. Only Jesus can do that. And he, he says to her, he says, where's your husband? Some of the effect of speaking to her husband, and she goes, well, uh, you know, let, let me go get my husband and call him. And then Jesus says, well, actually, you've had five husbands, you've had five. Because Jesus knows the story. And behind this, a lot of people, when they read this, they go, well, this woman, she's clearly just, she's sleeping around. She's, she's like the town, you know, the, the, the bad girl in the town who's just like, what are we in reality? When you read the scholars who, who read about this woman, likely what has happened. In the ancient first century world, did women have permission to divorce their husbands? No. She has been divorced five times. She has been left five times. And more than more, I'm reading New Testament scholars who are saying, this is not a woman who's, who's been sleeping around. This is more likely than anything, sexual abuse. A woman that has spent her life being abused in her town. And so you ask, why in the world does she come alone? Why does she come at noon at the wrong time of the day? She's alone at the wrong time of the day because nobody else would go with her. She has no hope. And she certainly has no friends. This is a woman who has experienced a life of marginalization, of hatred. Now, immediately after delving into her sex life, the woman says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. (laughs) Again, I love the understatements in the Bible. She's She's like, okay, you've got my attention. How did you know that? Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but Jews claim that this place where they must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, verse 21, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. For a time is coming when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father speaks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And then she says, I know that the Messiah will come and explain everything. And then Jesus totally drops the mic. That's me. I'm the one. What an incredible story. And we read this story and we go, okay, what an encounter. What what an encounter. This woman's life just got reframed. By the way, a dude is now talking to her in public. Somebody's engaging in conversation with her. A Jew who wasn't even allowed to say the word Samaritan is talking to her. And now, she's got somebody who knows the truth about her life and is inviting her to know God. What an incredible story. But you can't end there. Just then, his disciples returned. Again, Jesus does his best work when they're not in the room. The disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. No wonder they're shocked. Men don't talk to women in public, and you certainly don't talk to a Samaritan as a Jew. No wonder they're surprised. But no one dared to ask, what do you want? Why are you talking to her? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to her town and she proclaimed Jesus. What is she doing? She is leaving something behind. What does that mean? You know, the truth of the matter is, immediately when we hear this, I can just feel it in the room. A bunch of us are like, yeah, I gotta stop doing that sin in my life, yeah, I struggle with that too much, yeah, I gotta, I gotta lay that down. Like, praise God, you should be convicted. We all have sin to leave behind. And the truth of the matter is, we're not actually supposed to leave everything behind. Not everything. I'm not saying that you're supposed to leave everything behind. You know how I know? Count how many times Jesus heals somebody, and then the first thing he says is, oh, by the way, I've just healed you? Pick up your mat and take it with you. Why would Jesus say, take your mat with you? What a weird thing to tell people. I just healed you. Take home your dirty mat that you've been on for 20 years. I'm totally convinced what Jesus is saying here is he's not making a comment comment on carrying around dirty pieces of cloth. I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want you to take your mat home. I want you to never forget where you were when I met you. Take your mat home and don't forget the moment I saved you, I redeemed you, I gave you life. Don't forget that moment. Take your mat home. With you, The minute you forget the place where you were when God forgave you and set you free, all of a sudden, the minute you forget that, you start becoming really legalistic and judging everybody else. But when you remember where you were, I remember where I was when I was 16 years old, a train wreck of a kid, when God encountered me like I was by a well. I was this woman, and I better never forget that moment who I was, where God met me. We don't leave everything behind. We don't leave behind our story. But there are going to be times that we leave behind our life of sin. This is exactly what happened to Matthew. Jesus says to Matthew, you're going to come follow me and I want you to leave behind your tax collector's booth. Why? Because a tax collector booth in the first century represented oppression, wrongdoing, injustice, 80% tax rate for Jews from tax collectors. I mean, absolutely insane. It's unfair. It's wrong. No wonder Jesus says to Matthew, leave your tax collector booth. He was perpetuating evil. And so, yes, he calls him to leave his evil. Part of leaving things behind, folks, is leaving behind the evil doing that you do. I remember years ago, pastoring in Portland, uh, we finished a church service and we were, you know, we were cleaning up after a church service. It turns out, you know, after a church service is done, like somebody has to come through and pick up the garbage. Did you know this? Angels don't do it for you. It would be great if angels came through and picked up all the coffee cups. Christians make a lot of coffee cups. We were picking up all the garbage. People had like left behind their journals and stuff. I read them all. And we found, after church service, this little tiny bag of meth. This little bag of of meth. And I know that there's, whenever I tell this story, there's always like a, a really religious person in the room who's like, who would bring drugs to church? I know exactly what happened. Somebody came to church that day with a bag of meth. They encountered Jesus and left the bag behind. I know exactly what happened. They had the same encounter Matthew had, an encounter with the living God, and they realized, I cannot live these two lives. I, have, I cannot serve two masters. I can't. The woman who started the denomination that I'm a part of, I'm a part of a funky denomination called Foursquare. There's all sorts of things about it that drive me mad. I'm so glad I'm in a family, but it's a weird family. The woman who started our denomination, Amy Semple McPherson, there's this great story from the early 1900s, back in the days when churches were segregated, uh, when, when African-Americans and white people didn't worship together, and there was all this just horrible animosity around, if, if they could worship together, also. And Amy, one Sunday, gets up to preach in the early 1900s, and she gets up to preach, and she's standing up in front of the church, in front of Angela's Temple, and she's preaching, and these guys in KKK robes come and sit in the front row. And, and, and she begins, she stands up to preach, and they start berating her, and they're like, who are you? You know, like, you, 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 are you're, you're doing horrible things, you shouldn't allow that, allow black people, white people to worship together, and they start yelling at her. And Amy Simple McPherson, this sweet lady, stands up. She preaches, they're yelling at her, and she stops the sermon, and she looks right down at her. I'm not looking at any of you. She looks right at her. And she takes her hand, and she slams the table, and she goes, repent, in a very beautiful woman's voice. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand And you are in sin There was a person from the LA Times Out in front of the church In the park across the street Who snapped a photo Of a pile Of KKK robes Of men who met Jesus And left behind Their sin What are you leaving behind? It very well could be sin. It very well could be an attitude. But here's the funny thing about leaving things behind, because it's not always, it's not always about leaving bad things behind. We tend to think of repentance. The Hebrew word for repentance is a, a beautiful word in Hebrew. It's the word shuv. It means to return or to go back. In fact, you know that line in the Old Testament that says, from dust I came, to dust I will repent, shuv, return. The idea of repentance is going back to something, and we tend to think of repentance as like, okay, repentance is I'm going to stop doing bad stuff and I'm going to start doing good stuff. I'm going to cut out the bad and just do good. That is not repentance. Repentance is not stopping bad things and doing good things. It is turning from evil things to God. And that is a very important part of repentance, turning from evil to God. But I gotta tell you this as well. There are times where repentance is not turning from evil to God. Sometimes repentance is turning from things that we thought were good back to God. It is not about going from bad to good. It is about coming back to God. And this woman, she leaves behind her water jar. What an important thing. Her life was about this water jar. Imagine the miles she had carried with this water jar. Her entire identity was this water jar. And she leaves this good thing that brought life, that watered homes, that gave a bath once a month. She leaves a good thing to follow God. I got to tell you, I love how many women in the New Testament there are who are in really horrible positions who Jesus encounters and frees. I love, for example, the story of Mary. You think about this. When Jesus was born, imagine having a friend, imagine having a 15-year-old friend who came to you and said, I'm pregnant, but I never had sex. I have a hard time imagining I would believe that young woman. I would probably be like, what? No, I can't. I, 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 no, no, I, no. I, people get all sorts of things past me, but that one, no. I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to bet you for 33 years. I'm going to bet you for 33 years. Mary, for 33 years, lived under a cloak of suspicion that she lied the whole time. Oh, you were just. You just had an encounter when you were 15. You never told us about it. You claim it's God. What a great moment it would have been to be in the room when Jesus resurrects. Mary's in the room. To see Mary's face when Jesus resurrects and he shows up with his scars. I just, I can only imagine that Mary was like, I told you. She was redeemed. And the women in the New Testament so much so that when Jesus resurrects, I should point this out, when Jesus resurrects, when Jesus resurrects, it's actually the men who are in a room terrified that they're going to get in the same predicament that Jesus was. And so they're scaredy cats in a room. It is the women who go to the empty tomb, and they see it's empty, and they run back and they declare, he is risen. The first Easter sermon was preached by the ladies can women preach? (laughs) We wouldn't have the gospel if the women didn't preach. We wouldn't know of the resurrection if the women didn't preach. This woman has left behind her water jar. Do you know what she does after this? She goes to her hometown and she says, dudes, bros, men, women, everybody, you got to come out and see this guy who knows everything about me. She is the first missionary in the New Testament, a woman who has left behind her old identity to proclaim the living God. This morning, I had a couple people say to me this week, hey, I really like how funny you are. Cool. I'm glad I can make you laugh. Today's not as funny. I'm glad we could laugh on Monday. Today. Jesus invites you to leave something behind. What is it? Maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. But today, God wants all of you.